Clearly he has a more powerful groin than TJ Watt. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We'll be taking a look at some of the games from last week, some news from around the league, focusing in on quarterback play and the state of offences. Uh, we'll be taking some questions from you, the listener, and then we'll be moving on to our picks for next week. So hey guys, we've got uh, myself here, Connor. we've got Harry, Hello. and we've got Fitz dialed in from Cork. Hello. So lads, what's the crack? How are we getting on? Any scandal? Uh, I'm too tired from work to have any scandal. I'm having the most <laughs> boring life in the world. Like, I think, mm. yeah, they yeah. do seem to be working you to the bone over there at the moment. Uh, the listeners don't need to hear about it. It's very boring, but capitalism's terrible. And uh, um, we should uh, take the captains of industry, hang them upside down from lampposts and seize the means of production, uh, live in fully automated luxury communism. Excellent. Uh, solid, strong point to start the podcast out on. What about yourself, Fitz? How's tricks down Cork? Better than my opener last week. <laughs> it is slightly better than fidget spinner porn, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Yeah. Well, Connor, Sometimes. come on, we're, we're so boring, save us, are you doing anything fun? <laughs> uh, nothing too wild, like we had the we had lads over for the football on Sunday, it was good crack, and then uh, going to head to Oktoberfest down in Dublin on Wednesday, oh, very good, because that's on down by the IFSC, uh, got a Dungeons and Dragons on Thursday, party party, uh, actually I've got a lot on this again, I've got, uh, no no, play is next weekend, uh, I was at one of the Fringe Festival plays on the weekend, it was very good actually, oh, uh, Hardly recommend uh, Fierce Notions if anyone is out there in Dublin wants to go along to it. I think it's on for another week or so. It's a musical loosely based on an allegory for Ireland austerity and how broken our democratic system are. But mostly it's hilarious and the lads just take the absolute piss in it. It's uh, it's great. Um, hardly recommend it. Nothing quite like watching a very awkward white like 20 year old actor trying to rap but know he's bad at it and it just being hilarious and the whole crowd shit themselves laughing. Uh, it was good. I hardly recommend. Um, so we've got a lot of bits to fly through, lads, but I suppose we'll kick off. It's now week two's in the books. We're now looking into week three. And they haven't been the most... There's been a couple of very good games, standout games so far. But for the most part, it hasn't been the most exciting of slates. And looking forward to this week, it isn't the most exciting of slates again. And that got us kind of thinking a little bit that there seems to be an awful lot of quite poor quarterback play in the league at the moment. And there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of answers forthcoming as to how they're going to fix this. Now, some of this is due to injury when we look at the Colts who are now on their third quarterback already. Uh, a couple of other teams who are playing backups who will probably be replaced by rookies who are sitting behind them and stuff like that. But there's also veteran quarterbacks out there who are now getting picked up and ones who are not getting picked up, which would surprise some people. Uh, the point uh, I, I, that kind of drove this home for me was I saw that Jacksonville's solution has been to pick up Ryan Nassib uh, off the waiver wire rather than as I predicted I think two months ago that Colin Kaepernick will be there by mid-season uh, if he's not picked up beforehand but like what are we why, why is it that we're seeing these you know McCowns, Brissett, Bortles, like Glennon, Hoyer although like some of these guys are definitely going to last about another week or so but like this is this is not a this is not an exciting slate of, of, of quarterbacks it's not a slate of good offenses so like what needs to happen for either A, these guys to suddenly play a little bit better because all the rules seem to be favouring pass catchers and, and, and quarterbacks at the moment in the league. And what's going to need to happen before they start looking to alternative solutions like your Kaepernick's, like your maybe re- reclamation projects of, of, of older draft picks who might have turned their lives around? Uh, looking at you, hefty lefty. Oh my God, sorry. I would love I think, to see Jared Lorenz. I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure he's paid his way onto like a 
a B level arena league football I think he, team. I think at he the owns moment. the franchise. Yeah, that's and it. Like, therefore, he's the quarterback. <laughs> but that's um, pretty impressive. But I so I'll come to you first on this, Harry. Like, what do you think is driving this kind of poor quarterback play at the moment? It's hard to say because it, it's not like you know there hasn't been talented quarterbacks coming through in the last few years. So it's not like there's suddenly something's massively changed in the college system or something's massively changed the development. Mm-hmm. Because but a lot of what you you're looking at these guys, um, your McCowans, your Glennons. Hoyer, these are retreads. These are these are backups, um, career backups who are now sort of put into a starting role, bridging the gap, bridging the gap. And you do wonder if there's a tendency in the league now that everyone's looking for that magic. Everyone's looking for their Tom Brady, their Peyton Manning, their Andrew Luck. Like teams need to have a quarterback, you know, who can win games. Yeah, generally speaking. But there seems to be this this desire that like, and maybe it's an impatience from the fans. Maybe it's issues with the coaching staff, but across the league, there's this idea of like either you have the guy, or it really doesn't matter. You can throw anyone in there; it doesn't really matter how good they are. And that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing like the, this. Oh, we'll go through all the bullshit of oh, we faith in this guy. This guy's our guy. We know, it's, and we all know it's nonsense, right? They're just holding down the fort until somebody else comes along. And you just question the ambition now, and if with the overvaluation we see of high draft picks, that so many teams this season have been happy to say, we're going to save the money and not like give us a quarterback that might maybe give us a chance of scraping into the playoffs or getting an 8-8 eight eight season. That's not worth anything. Nobody wants mediocrity. They want you boom either, or bust. You want boom or bust. You either want, we've got our guy, and we're going to win, we're going to go to the playoffs, we're going to try and go to the Super Bowl, or, fuck it, we're tanking, and we'll, pick, we'll find somebody to pick up. Mm-hmm. And it's really disturbing this year. There seem to be like four or five teams who are actively tanking. Yeah. And, like, trying not to win games. Uh, it's really, really, really strange to watch. I think we're seeing reflected that in that coaches and organizations are happy to settle with them. And similarly, like, you know, there would have been a time where, as a coach, you you do and die by whatever's there. But obviously, so many coaches are being told, look, we know you're not going to win. We know you're going to get a trick. We don't really give a shit who your quarterback is. We don't really give a shit who this is. Like, look at the situation, for example, in San Fran. There, Brian Hoyer is never going to be the future in San Francisco. He's no. barely the president in San Francisco. He's been terrible. But he's a placeholder for presumably Kirk Cousins or a and other. Exactly, and that's it. It's like, well, we're just willing to willing to go willing to go with it. There's no desire. There's no push to win, because at the end of the day, um, for most of these teams that don't play in LA, you can still sell out the stadiums even if you're doing bad. You still have that fan base. You have mm-hmm. uh, season ticket lists that are ten years long in some cases. It doesn't really matter the quality of what you're putting out there. And I think this is heady. I know I'm hitting on a lot of stuff, but that's the problem. It's, it's hard to put your finger on one thing. Mm-hmm. There's a cocktail. Of the overvaluation of of picks of inherent conservatism from coaches and owners of this desire to this belief that you're always just that one piece that one quarterback away from winning, which as the Indianapolis Colts have shown is not necessarily going to be the case. No, and also I think just the comfortable level of commercialization that's been reached in the league, which I think will sort of lead us into the Kaepernick thing when we discuss that later, Mm -hmm. and saying, look, honestly, it doesn't matter if we play badly because some teams are big enough to play badly that they're still going to make money hand over fist yeah, and they don't want to do anything that will endanger that investment see the prior conservatism and that I think ties into it quite a bit as well yeah like I know Fitz last week uh, there was a couple of high ranking uh, NFL commentators came out and they said there's a massive problem with the development uh, of offensive linemen and then that's now feeding into an offensive line crisis in the NFL and maybe that's an element but in some of these cases we're seeing lines that are holding up okay and it's just it's actually poor mechanics poor poor game management poor understanding of playbooks and maybe some of that might play into it as well that it's such a rotation of a lot of these guys are moving in for one year two year rentals they're trying to install playbooks very quickly and maybe that's lessening what they can do but like like do you think this is something that is 
wider than just the quarterback itself, that it is the line, that it is the types of cut-down like uh, playbooks they're having to work with, or is it coming down onto the heads of just the quality of the players that are available at the moment? Yeah, well, I think the decline in offensive line play from the college system, all of these linemen coming... Like, there's a lot of talk about QBs coming from the spread system, how do they adjust, but the same thing is also true of old linemen. Now, the one difference is that old linemen tend to come from different types of schools than quarterbacks and not necessarily big schools and there's some schools that have a, a good reputation for churning out these decent old linemen so I think yeah like everyone's talking about there is a paucity of old linemen that's definitely having an effect quarterbacks once again there's certainly a, a, a feeling that teams when they go into rebuild mode would rather have someone boring who won't get the fans ire if they do badly rather than try and get someone who is gives people hope for some kind of controversy. You see the way that Colin Kaepernick street, that's the obvious case. But even take someone like Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor looks like a good quarterback, he, but he brings a very distinctive style to it. But he, you can see that during his time in Buffalo, he's, create, he's generated a lot of like discussion, both within the fans and to a greater degree within the ownership, because he kind of represents that kind of median point where you're not really sure what you could do. And because his skill set is so diametrically opposed to what people expect from their franchise quarterback, it necessarily kind of feels like uh, kind of like a, like a, a bit of a midpoint and you don't know really where to, don't know really where to go. But I think like one thing that we haven't talked about here, uh, but we'll probably talk about like through the games, is that also that the defenses right now look really good. There's like a, a very large amount of like really good defenses in the league, it seems, this season, at least based on our initial... Uh, recognition mm-hmm. and maybe some of that is that like defenses tend to like get up to speed a bit quicker than offenses which have a bit more like complexity in terms or tend to have more complexity or yeah. at least rely on complexity a bit more um, but it, it certainly feels like there's a lot of defenses out there and maybe that represents the fact that like the defensive skill players these days are getting money which is uh, commensurate with near quarterback near wide receiver money like if you're talking about the skill positions on the offense the best players in defense are now getting contracts similar to that. You think of Sue, you think you you think of Khalil Mack, what he's going to get. You you think of other defensive players, whether they're safeties, whether they're uh, cornerbacks, whether they're defensive ends. If you get the ball, if you're involved in turnovers, you are getting paid a lot of money. So maybe we're seeing very quickly a turnover where players who can't make it as quarterbacks or as wide receivers are much more quicker to transfer over to the other side of the ball where they'll have a better chance of getting that without necessarily having the kind of specialised skills required. So I think there's a lot of things going on here and obviously we don't want to like take a trend and just extrapolate out if it's going to go on all season. But right now it kind of feels like the, the product in terms of offensive output feels a bit stagnant. It feels like there's a lot of teams like a lot of teams basically in rebuild mode. And yeah, it kind of feels like we're kind of in a... You know, bit of limbo here at the moment uh, so we'll see how it develops I'm not going to hit the panic button yet but uh, certainly something to keep an eye on uh, going forward this season and in future seasons if these trends continue Yeah. so like what do you think has to happen before someone looks at this and goes right do you know what might be better than Brissette it might be Colin Kaepernick do you know what might be better than Bortles it might be Colin Kaepernick someone who has played to a high level has had some bad seasons has had some inconsistent play but I would still take that inconsistent play over what we're seeing from some of these starters I think there's two there's two kind of factors that have a big play that don't have to do with quality quarterback play or the quality of your quarterback play that is the ownership and the fan base there are just certain fan bases that you're not really going to bring Colin Kaepernick into 
like you're probably not going to bring him into somewhere like you wouldn't bring him into Tennessee or somewhere like that uh, not to, to you know besmirch the, the name of Tennesseans but there's just certain markets where you know Colin Kaepernick would create an issue that's for one example why I think Indianapolis may not be the, the optimal place to go but if he was coming like somewhere San Fran it would probably be a much less of an issue if he came back even if the fans wouldn't be delighted about it I assume um, and then the ownership obviously we know that certain owners have certain political leanings and I think that would have a huge issue on whether they'd bring someone like Colin Kaepernick in uh, and you know when you look at uh, like and you really need both of them to be to be there. So like when you look at the Ravens situation, even though the ownership is probably fine with it, the coaching staff is probably fine with it, based on like how much they talked about, let's get fan reaction, let's gauge what the fans think. It, it kind of it seems that like you know Baltimore, which obviously has a lot of issues around uh, related to race and stuff like that, uh, obviously didn't seem like the optimal place to bring them in. Uh, it seemed based on what the feedback that they got there. Uh, it's it's a weird place in America. And Colin Kaepernick's kind of stuck in the middle here at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little confused by this. I, I, I agree with you that that's the cause. But see, this is the problem is that I think with that situation you create, there is no win because you have, you say, Tennessee. Now, I'm not sure if Tennessee is the best for example. Nashville is actually quite, quite a, a liberal city. But I get what you're talking about, the broader um, cultural sphere. Indianapolis is actually a very good example of, of conservatism, militarism and, and, and respect for the police, whatever you want to call mm. it. I get that that's the thing, but the problem is that when you have places then on the other side, like Baltimore, where there are a large number of African Americans, then you have the racial tensions. So either way, if you're Colin Kaepernick, you can't win. Because you can either say, oh, our fan base are white patriots who will never support him, or our fan base is split between black people and white people, and there's tension. So I'm not sure where you actually find the location. Well, you, 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 could send him to, you could send him to Seattle, where it's a load of liberal white people. That's, that, might, well, that might just work. But, <laughs> but this is the interesting thing. Like, there, that is true to an extent, but there's an awful lot of people from out like Spokane. But like, once you go outside of Seattle, there are Seahawks fans who are just as rural yeah. and just as conservative. And we have this image of these cities. But it's the same thing in even places like New England and San Francisco. Like We tend to identify very strongly these teams with the specific urban area they come from. But their fan base and their catchment areas are much, much wider, much wider yeah. than that. And they encompass a much broader political spectrum. It's like the reverse of Tennessee. Like, oh yeah, Tennessee's quite conservative, but Nashville's quite liberal. So you have a mixture mm-hmm. of people who go to support football games. Although I would hazard on average... The people who attend football games probably are, on average, more conservative than the population yeah. as a whole. Well, we just look at the militarism in the in exactly. the pregame shows, the flyovers, the salute to service, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. They are tied into a lot more of that. So I'm concerned. I think the logic that Ronan says is, is is perfect, and I think it's the logic the owners are using when they talk about the fans a lot of the time. But it, it gives you an excuse, whatever the situation is, unless you really, unless you're talking about a team from that has a, like a overwhelmingly black fan base which isn't the case it's just this is a numbers game really at that point um that turn up on match days you're never going to find the team that isn't doesn't sort of fall into a category where you can make excuses based on the fans and that's the problem but how 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 is it that we find fan bases that are so happy to accept someone who like fought and killed dogs or sexually assaulted women or beat their children or beat their wives I'm not talking about the reality of the situation I'm talking about the way it's put across I think most fan bases would actually get over it if Colin Kaepernick came in and won a game or two that's what I'm thinking I I, I think it's overthinking from the management I think it's it's concern it's excuse making because the politics Ronan alluded to but my point is my point wasn't that any is, is wrong or anything my point was that it's a perfect excuse because you can put whatever you want on the fans and the demographics will always end up supporting one of those arguments yeah and yeah, I, 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 like I think like we've talked a lot about the context of why it's harder for Colin Kaepernick to get a job, but I think it is 
it is worth briefly mentioning that we did talk about these other guys as bridge guys. And like the realistic situation is for Colin Kaepernick, based on the play that we've seen the last couple of years, is that he would probably be a bridge type of guy himself. And I think we talked about this offseason. When you're talking about these bridge guys, when you're talking about these backup guys, teams want people that no one cares about, that are disposable, and that don't create generate any news lines, so that when you get rid of them, there's no blowback, there's no situation, they've just been replaced with whatever the new rookie, the new shiny thing is. So, like, you know, Colin Kaepernick, he showed some things, and obviously he had a lot of achievements early on in his career, but there's no doubt if you brought Colin Kaepernick in now, you're not expecting him to be your franchise quarterback, you're expecting him to be someone who can hopefully give you some success in the short term, See, but you're likely looking for the future solution. That's, that's, that, but I suppose that, like, that, that's almost like if we were to proxy in the, 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 the like domestic assault, so it's why it was so much easier for Ray Rice to not get a job because he was a little bit past it and I didn't see the value to them. If they see him as a rental, they see him as not having the value for potentially giving themselves any upset as they would for Adrian Peterson yeah, and I mean that's exactly it. If, if the player is good enough, they will make they'll make an excuse for low. God knows what you know, out of Peterson so far this season probably indicates yeah. that it wasn't worth it. But um, also, I was very leery, obviously, about comparing uh, violence to, yeah. to the Kaepernick situation. But I think uh, an interesting analogy, that I think, actually, is a counterpoint to that is, is Michael Sam, um, where there was a huge amount of oh, will he be a distraction? Will he? What, what's the story? What? And he went, he went, went to the practice squad, and he got cut. And the thing is, if he was, if somebody is hired and then got rid of for genuine football reasons, as was the case with Michael Sam. Mm-hmm. The blowback is much less than if Kaepernick, like the idea, Ka- the blowback from like not having Colin Kaepernick even giving him a try. And this, bear in mind, both both Aaron Rodgers and even Tom Brady, who is no, who is Tom Brady, who is distinctly unwoke, unwoke, noted noted Trump supporter Tom Brady. I'm going to go with unwoke. <laughs> have both said that Colin Kaepernick should have a job in this league. It's as simple as that. And the two best quarterbacks around have said that. You know, it, 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 you can make all the excuses you want. These are guys who will work with their backups. These are guys who have seen what it means to be a quarterback. In both cases, have sat and learned from, yep. from bridge guys. Well, not bridge per se, but like guys coming towards the end of yep. their careers. And they think he should be in the league. So I, I agree with you that this is exactly what people are saying. This is exactly what's being expounded. And this is exactly the logic that's being used. And it's convincing to an awful, awful lot of people. But I think it runs hollow. And I think if a team gives Kaepernick a shot, and if after a year or two, release him because he's not up to it anymore, or even after, after you know, even a, after a year. Half a season, yeah, even after half a season because he can't get it done. That fine. is a completely different situation to teams mm-hmm. simply refusing to give him a shot. because, And we all know why. Yeah, like th- th- this is the thing. We started this off by discussing a lot of these offences aren't looking good. Some of this will be rookies will come in into the spot. Some of them will be replaced with other backups. I maintain that if we see this level of offensive play come week six or seven, I don't think there's any way we get into the back half of the season without Colin Kaepernick getting onto a squad somewhere for a small amount of money, unguaranteed, just to give him a shot. Because there is a degree to which fans will go we don't want to take a shot in him we don't like the controversy potential that comes with him and then there's a point where your team is 2 and 5 and you have to change something up or else you're going to have empty stadiums because realistically I think empty stadiums are going to worry these owners more than potential outcry from the fans who aren't turning up in the first place well, protesters pay money to get into games that's right? it yeah. if, they, if, they, if, if they burn jerseys they had to buy them jerseys can I, can I give you an interesting, just a very brief interesting thing to pull away from Kaepernick mm-hmm. for a second and loop back to where we were going with originally. And this is the thing about why, you know, we've seen that it's very difficult to be a quarterback. Like, there are literally less than 32 mm-hmm. uh, adult men in America who can play the position convincingly. Um, like, that's crazy. When you see guys like Kaepernick who are, you know, 
talent, definitely talented enough to be on a roster being blackballed. It's actually quite, con- it's very concerning from not just from the political and all the racial stuff, you know, but actually from the sporting perspective, being like that this is the prioritization they're making. Because, you know, we're seeing a few good young guys coming through, but if you look at guy, these guys who would all be, you know, up there considered in the top half of quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the league, Tom Brady is 40. Aaron Rodgers is 33, Drew Brees is 38, Philip Rivers is 35, Ray P. Ben is 35, Eli Manning is 36, even Alex Smith is 33. Yeah. These are not young men anymore. And it, what happens when this generation dies off, when they retire, when they go off the cliff, and owners are out there blackballing quarterbacks for political yeah. reasons? Like That's not going to help you address the declining quality of quarterback play we're seeing at the moment. It's not at all. Like it's it's a it's a it's a ticking time bomb potentially, but it depends on I suppose whether or not the position evolves again over the next two or three years and we start to see a new type of quarterback coming through. There are a couple of very good young stars sitting out there. You've got your Mariotas, you've got your Jameis Winstons, you've got these rookies in this year, some of whom look promising. You've got what's meant to be a bumper crop next year. Maybe that might be the thing that'll help fill it in. Because like I do think that we've been spoiled over the last kind of 10, 15 years in like we've had a lot of very high quality quarterbacks in there. Like if you think back to like late 90s, early 2000s, it was a pretty dark time for quarterbacks during that period as well. There wasn't a ton of, of, of excitement out there. Like, we've had three or four kind of locked-on Hall of Famers playing during our time. If we just go, like, Rodgers, Brady, uh, Manning, maybe Breeze, a couple of these. Like, we've had a lot of very high-end quarterback play, which I think because... because Essentially, because of our age, that's that's the period that we know the most about. Like we're used to a much higher level than I think a lot of other people were. And like I said, this could also be a reflection of defenses getting better, and maybe these quarterbacks change up their game, change up their game plans in response to it. It's an ever evolving game. Who knows what it'll look like? But um, as we said, this has led to already some changes around the league. We've seen uh, <laughs> the. Uh, the Bengals have already fired their offensive coordinator, Ken uh, Zampezi, uh, after their two terrible offensive... Uh, interesting fact, Rex Burkhead is the last person to score a touchdown for both the Patriots and the Cincinnati Bengals, who he was on the team of last year. He's been replaced by QB coach Bill Lazor, who I think was with the Dolphins beforehand, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, so like that's the start of that, and I think there's two or three others. There's a couple of head coaches that are looking on the way out, or at least in the very hot seat, like we're saying... Bruce Arians is looking like he'll probably last the season just because it's a last run, but we don't see him lasting beyond that. Like where Pagano's gone, like without a question. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of ones that are going to have to up their game, or else they're going to be looking in the way out. Uh, even even people like Bill O'Brien need to probably tighten up because they need to get something out of the offense. So this is something we're probably going to see evolve over the rest of the season. But it's uh, it's one to keep an eye on just to see what happens in this QB market because it is a bit of a bit of a mess. Okay, we'll fly on through a few bits and pieces of the change. Trades and signings in the last week. Um, Oakland have extended Donald Penn for two years, $21 million. Denver have extended Ruben for a year. Arizona uh, picked up Chris Johnson for a year. Uh, CJ2K back in the league. We'll be discussing him later on. And uh, as we mentioned there, Jacksonville have picked up Ryan Nassib. The answer to all of their problems... Um, in terms of injuries, we've had a couple of large ones. Uh, Carolina's tight end Greg Olson has broken his foot and he's out for six to eight weeks. He's gone on IR boomerang, so he's gone for a minimum of six weeks, I think it is, uh, but can come back in anything up to ten. Um, Baltimore lost their, their probably the best guard, maybe one of the best guards in the in the league, I'd say, Marshall Yanda. Yep. Uh, he's gone, his ankle is done, so he's gone for the season. Uh, Vic Beasley has done his hamstring, he's out for a month for Atlanta, so uh, Ray, uh, Ryan... Sh- 
Schrader has also got a concussion, so we're not sure how long he's gone for. And Courtney Upshaw injured his ankle. We don't know how long he's gone for. Sam Bradford, who did not play this week after, I think, probably the game of his career. He uh, he then had an injury to his knee. He was swelling. Wasn't able to play in it. This is a chap who's had a couple of knee injuries previously. This was a non-contact outside of training injury, so that's quite worrying. And uh, the other large one would probably be wide receiver Corey Coleman for the Browns has broken his hand and he's out for six to eight weeks. So those are probably the biggest ones, guys. Is there any um, that you want to kind of focus in on and the impact they're going to have on their teams? Um, yeah, so Marshall Yonda, that's a huge loss for Baltimore. Not not that it matters, I suppose, because Baltimore's offense doesn't do anything at the moment. It just runs the ball and then gives the ball to Justin Tucker. And then Joe Flacco occasionally shows up. Uh, apparently he's still quarterback there. Um, in him and his dodgy spine, but like Marshall Yonda is the reason that the Ravens let uh, Kaleche Osemele go to the Raiders, and of course Kaleche Osemele is now one of the top guards in 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 Oakland. Uh, so that kind of gives you an indication of how much the Ravens and the league values a player like Marshall Yonda. He's always in those top 100 lists uh, voted on by the players. So I think when you're talking about a guard, which is well known in the league, you know they have to be pretty good. And, you know, it'll probably, the biggest issue will be how will this affect their run game, which already has a massive issue and may lead to more of a shift away from Terrence West, who's more of a traditional runner, to maybe more Buck Allen, where they'll have to go a bit more up-tempo or maybe just a bit mm-hmm. more uh, pass-orientated. Uh, but, like, with the Baltimore Ravens, the offense isn't really the focus right now. Um, so I'm sure they think they can patch around this, but it's just another blow for an offense that, that just looks anemic right now. Uh, but we'll see how they can patch it together uh, throughout the rest of the season. But he's a huge blow based on his talent level. Yeah, we're saying fun fun fact about the Baltimore team: uh, their wide receivers have only one more catch than their defense does <laughs> through two games. Their wide receivers have caught eight passes. Obviously, that's just wide receivers, not the tight ends or running backs. Uh, and their defense have intercepted the ball eight times. So uh, exciting times! How about yourself, Harry? Who's caught your eye? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's more. A significant one to talk about. One, one that I think is actually really interesting is Corey Coleman mm. going down in Cleveland after you looking looking promising. Team was looking promising week one, less less so this week. Because what was really worrying about that was this is a team that had a few things that were going right, and then Corey Coleman got injured, and they started playing a lot of Sammy Coates and Kenny Britt. And I don't think oh, I've ever seen God. two players look less interested. I saw some some pig, some some video of that, and it was just horrendous. I think the last time I saw a player look as disinterested as as uninterested as Kenny Britt was Kenny Britt three years ago. <laughs> um, but I, 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 that's really worrying for this because Cleveland are obviously in the middle of a rebuild. You know, they're trying out this sort of youth project and trying to see what works and all how their bits come together. And it, it really doesn't help when you've got players who are just content to jog around the field. And losing Coleman's a big blow because that means, um, yeah, they've lost a guy who seemed invested in it. Uh, and now appears to be replaced with two guys who weren't invested in it. So reinstate Josh Gordon, that's what I say. That's it. Time, time for Richard Higgins hype, am I right? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Yeah. And obviously a big one big one for Carolina here, their tight end kind of go to guy, Greg Olson, is out for six to eight weeks. This'll it'll be interesting to see because this is an offense that struggled to kind of come out of the gates firing. It hasn't looked incredible. They've been over focusing on the great White Hope Colin uh sorry, not Colin McCaffrey, uh Colin, Colin McCaffrey. Isn't that a card from Harry Potter or something? Probably. <laughs> um Christian McCaffrey. So uh like I suppose this means they'll have to target Benjamin a bit more to get that big-bodied individual. But like, I don't know what this is. A, this is a big loss. Like, who's? Yeah, they're gonna put Christian McCaffrey in moon boots. And oh god! <laughs> it's just gonna go around. Awful. Like, it's just awful. I think awful. the biggest problem for Christian McCaffrey is that when Cam Newton passes him, he has to like. It's like almost like basketball having to like hit like slam dunk it to him. <laughs> small. Like there was a really open. There was a. a open throw that uh, Cam Newton had for Christian McCaffrey at the end of the game this week where he basically just threw it way over him it's like 
Ah, yes, I could see from your perspective how you could see far away. You need a bit more more distance on it. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how they adjust to this. Uh, Maybe we'll see an emergence of Devin Funches. That could possibly happen. Probably not, though. Probably not. Speaking of basketball, did you see? Sorry, throw this in there. Did you see Devonta Freeman's celebration? No, yeah. I didn't. Uh, the, so he, he got the ball after I think he scored his second touchdown, mm-hmm. and uh, the O lineman went and sort of made a hoop with his arms, and Freeman oh shot it in from about shot a free ten throw. yards away. I fucking swished it like <laughs> gas. Uh, we'll do a quick run through all the other injuries. So Denver, uh, Jared Cricks done his back is out for the season. Gareth Bowles has uh, sprained his ankle. He's week to week, and uh, Benny Fowler has a concussion, and we don't know uh, week to week on him. Uh, San Francisco, Eric Reed has injured his knee he'll be out for a few weeks uh, Kansas City Mitch Morris has a foot sprain he'll be out for 2-3 weeks so TJ Watt uh, JJ's brother has a groin strain he'll be out for a week uh, Rob Gronkowski has also strained his groin he's day to day clearly he has a more powerful groin than TJ Watt uh, <laughs> Jordy Nelson has injured his quad he's day to day fuck you Jordy we were relying on you for fantasy uh, Randall Cobb has hurt his shoulder day to day and Mike Daniels is hamstring and he's also day to day and Washington who we'll be discussing a little bit later on uh, Fat Rob had a rib cartilage injury they reckon he'll be back very shortly and Jordan Reed has a chest injury and again they reckon he'll be back shortly so nothing too serious there uh, on to our favourite part of this and every week uh, crime and punishment what are the players up to it's probably felonies Brian Cushing it turns out that giant roided up monster Brian Cushing is on steroids this is the gentleman who last year decided in anger to start headbutting people who were wearing helmets when he had already removed his and split his head open I am not surprised by this are you? no no, I'm not. Um, Brian Cushing is a large, violent man uh, who is clearly on steroids. Although, because uh, after he got suspended, um, it was leaked that the first NFL player had been suspended for HGH, and Cushing's agent had to be like, "No, it was just PEDs, <laughs> just regular old steroids." Just which I don't, which I'm not even sure I believe, to be honest with you, because yeah. like the size of Brian Cushing compared to the size of Brian Cushing when he was like twenty is yeah, yeah, and weird. Um, but yeah, look, I mean. I'm just amazed it's taken like I mean Brian, yeah, like, Brian Cushing is clearly steroidal mm. he is clearly possessed by roid rage like he is a, a violent he is biff man. he is biff from back to the future like he, he is. is just he's just an 80s cartoon bully he is, he is. Um, in other news Dallas uh, Ziggy Elliott saga continues so the NFL have fired emergency motion to stay his injunction to the Court of Appeals. Uh, this means that we are probably going to see, as we mentioned before, and this is looking increasingly like it's going to be like the Tom Brady scenario, this will be appealed and appealed upwards and we won't see the suspension being enforced until next year. Uh, I don't think any of us expect that we're not going to see a suspension through this. I don't know, they could just make him play Denver for six weeks he might as well not be on the field. Yeah, that was not an impressive game from him. Uh, nine rushes for eight yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, exciting times. Uh, yeah, that was that was a rough game for them entirely. Uh, that's actually it's not been too bad a week for the crime and punishment this week. Not too bad at all. Uh, in other news, uh, Sua Craven's been placed on the reserve non-football injury list after a very unusual off-season uh, selection of decisions and issues. Uh, which one of you guys want to explain this one? It's a quite an interesting. Well, I'm not sure where I'm going to be. Oh, and the Mazungus fucked me. Yeah, that's basically what happened. Um, I'll, I'll t- correct me if I get any of this wrong, Ronan, but basically, um, so I understand it, Sue Craven so kind of was considering retiring uh, from the NFL for health reasons and so on, so he took a bit of time off 
um, over the off season, the start of the season, to have a, have a think about it. And he was put onto uh, an uh, exempt list, which basically meant he was exempt from counting against the roster, but he could come back. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. They'd have to also then cut somebody to accommodate him. And um, earlier this week, or possibly late last week, I can't remember exactly when, he contacted the team to say, yeah, basically, uh, I'm coming back. Uh, I decided I'm actually not going to retire, so that's cool. And uh, Washington, being Washington, went, yeah, cool, great, you're coming back. Um, we're going to deactivate you for the season. So they moved him to the reserve list from the exempt list, uh, meaning he can't play this year. Um, but they still which retain just, his rights? They still retain his rights, but it's just crazy. It's like, this guy's thinking about retiring, and you're like, well, we want to keep him. So let's just, like, not let him play, because that won't make him want to quit. Or anything. Like, I, I just hate this. I just hate this organization. Like, well, oh, it's terrible. And the thing is, apparently, now I don't know if this is true, but apparently, one of the things I was reading is they were meant to give like a notice period. Now there's questions over whether or not they gave Sue Cravens an adequate notice period. Okay. That they intended on deactivating him and all this stuff. And it's just, it's just an absolute mess. And it's like, mm-hmm. look, if you want to go and convince this guy to not retire, and then you just take a year out of his career for the lols, like, no, it makes no who's sense. Who's making these decisions? Does, does, does he get paid during this year out? I, 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 I assume so, but. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to like. This just seems like just another example of Washington just being either incredibly incompetent, incredibly dickish, or both. Which I'd imagine <laughs> it's probably both. Uh, and then the other one, there's emerging news about uh, linebacker Lawrence Timmons. He went missing on Sunday before the LA Chargers game when he was missing at uh, at curfew. They weren't able to find him. Contacted friends, couldn't find him. They contacted the police. They eventually found him the following morning uh, at an airport, trying to head out to uh, Michigan, wasn't it? Uh, Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh. Sorry. Uh, and it was uh, the, uh, from what we gathered, the area he was heading to was where his son or his child lives. Uh, there's no more details about it. I'm sure we'll find out more, and we'll, we'll update you on that when it comes. But hopefully, he's okay, and there's nothing too serious going on there at all. And uh, I suppose with that, we'll move on to our reviews of the games from last week. So, we've got three games this week. uh, One in the Ring of Honor, one in the Neutral Zone, and one in the Dumpster Fire. So, this is a tough one to pick a Ring of Honor game for. Uh, There was one or two okay games, uh, but we decided to settle on the Miami at Chargers game. uh, Because there were some good bits in this. There was also some god-awful bits in this Uh, so we'll, we'll fly through. Miami at, uh, at the Chargers, first game in the StubHub Center, uh, the not entirely full 27,000-seater <laughs> stadium. Uh, so it was 19-70 to 70 to Miami. It's a poor start to the season for the Chargers, but a very good delayed beginning for the Jay Cutler-led Dolphins, I suppose. Uh, Cutler went for 230 yards, 24 or 33 passes, and a touchdown. Jay Ajayi had a lovely game, 28 carries for 122 yards. Uh, but obviously the, the MVP for Miami has to be uh, Cody Parkey, their kicker, knocking it in left, right, and center. Um Rivers himself had a pretty decent game, like 31 or 39 is very good completion rate, uh, 331 yards and a touchdown, but they had absolutely no run game whatsoever established here. Like Gordon was averaging 1.4 yards. This is like this, I don't know if this is a reflection of their run game playing badly or this, this Miami front seven finally stepping up a little bit and delivering. Uh, they did get good results from the air. Alan, Henry and Williams all had good games in the air and even Gordon got a nice couple of catches through there. Uh, but the big question now is their kicker, Young Hoku, uh, who has managed to go one of four so far since he started uh is he going to be the next Aguayo uh, is, is a big question that's going to happen here. I was <clears throat> I was torn between giving the most questionable 
play slash thing about this game to the kicker. But then we saw what happened at the end of this game and the play calling for Miami and the clock management for Miami. So there was a field goal being attempted to win the game for the LA Chargers. The Chargers got close, went for a kneel down, didn't have a timeout. There was 10 seconds left and they were definitely not going to get their field goal team out onto the onto the field. And to give them a sporting chance, presumably, Miami called a timeout to let them get them out. But the mind games worked perfectly and the field goal went wide, uh, winning the game for them. So... Harry, I'm going to come to you first about this Miami team. So, strong run game. We've got a nice kind of 60% pass, 40% run split. It's not as deep or as kind of strong a, a, a performance from Cutler as we'd expect. He was doing a lot more kind of short crossing and medium-length medium routes. It was a it was an okay performance. Where do you think this team sits? Because this is our first time actually getting to see them this season. Like, is, 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 has the has has Cutler being there changed your expectations of them from the preseason? Well, look, I think they still sit second in the AFC East. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they would have done that unless Jay Cutler had gone out and like spontaneously combusted yeah. somehow. To be honest with you, um, look, I'm not hugely sold on on Miami in general. I think they're a good team. I don't think they're going to be um, pushing. You know really the Patriots this season but I think we saw toughness I think we saw that they played smart like this wasn't like Jay Cutler wasn't the guy like arcing balls 50 yards downfield into double coverage that was Philip Rivers during this game yeah like Philip Rivers went to defeat Jay Cutler I must be Jay Cutler whereas <laughs> Jay Cutler played like a relatively stable smart game he didn't make mistakes he didn't really uh, take risks with the ball put things in danger he had 13 pa- passes to Jarvis Landry which is yeah, bonkers mentally um well, like he seemed to, so, he seems to be like sort of fighting, finding his rhythm. He, had, he already has developed like a safety blanket relationship with Landry, mm-hmm. which is very good. Landry didn't do a huge amount with the ball in hand, but he is a guy who can be very good after the catch. So, even getting him on those short routes is good. JHI controlled the game, end of story over four, uh, over four, four yards per carry average. Yeah, uh, I think 122 on 28 carries. That's what Miami need to do because they know like this isn't going to be like Chicago where like oh fuck it Jay Cutler's got to win us a game it's like look let's take it slow let's take a bounce and that's the kind of what Miami need to be there's so many teams in the league that are just so all over the place at the moment and so many teams playing really sloppy offense that if you're able to play an offense that makes less mistakes when you come against good defenses Mm -hmm. you're going to have a much better chance of actually getting something out of those kind of games so I think Miami are pretty much where we thought they'd be like good run game tasty looking front seven at times Still fragile uh, in the defensive backfield, perhaps. Still not entirely convincing at the quarterback position, although Cutler's decision-making does seem to be a slight Mm. step above Tannehill's at this stage. We'll we'll see how it goes as it develops. There was was a rather worrying uh, when he went for a deep errant throw late in the game, and it just went like... I think it went a good 15 yards into the stands yeah. whenever he tried to hurl it deep. Yeah, I think that was kind of one of those half throwaway kind of things. Yeah. Though. Like, is it better that it's in the stands than in the hands of a defensive back? So, yeah, like, I think Miami have a, have a shot at the playoffs. Um, I don't think we can read a huge amount of this game um, that we didn't already expect. But I, I, I think this is, yeah, I think this is still, solid, still a very solid team that's going to give teams trouble mm-hmm. and isn't going to be able to beat the best teams in the league. Yeah, of course. Now, Ronan, this is a Chargers team that I think a lot of people were high on coming into the league. And you just got to ask the question, why can't they get out of their own way? Like, this team doesn't feel like a team that should be 0-2. This team doesn't feel like it performed up to the level that its talent would suggest it should do. Like, what needs to change other than, like, them, you know, releasing the spirits that they've built there, their, their, that the, that the StubHub Stadium is built on of Indian, of Indian remains? Well, it, it 
not like last year at the Charger Stadium was much luckier for them. <laughs> it seems that uh, Anthony Lynn is quickly getting his best Mike McCoy face. <laughs> oh my God, why is this happening? Stop, please. He's not quite at the mental breakdown stage that we saw early on in the season for uh, McCoy when things just seemed to go up to against them. But there's no doubting that the Chargers look like a good team. They've played both teams well. They've played Denver really well and Denver have gone on and absolutely stomped the Dallas Cowboys who had their issues in the backfield but are still a good team. So that gives you an indication of where the Chargers were, where they came back and, and were within a field goal of beating the Denver uh, mm-hmm. Broncos last week. Now they come into Miami, they basically blitz the first half, have Miami where they want them a 10-point uh, lead at one stage, uh, and then they basically throw it away in the second half. Now, obviously, there's the obvious kicking situation at the end, which they, as you mentioned, nearly screwed up, which kind of gives you an idea that the coaching needs a bit of fine-tuning there in terms of organisation. Like, you compare that to something like, the if you look at the Patriots, for example, they had a field goal at the end of the second half, and it was oh, like yeah. clockwork. Uh, and then you compare it to what happened at the end of this game, where obviously it's even more important, and you see what happens, it gives you an indication of like what a good organisation looks like versus a bad one. But the big decision was that they went away from the run so early in the second half. Now, I know the run wasn't doing well, but we saw, we see in these games over and over again, if you commit to the run in the second half, you will wear them down. After a first half where they te- like they did well in the right time of possession, they were scoring points, they were keeping the ball, you would believe that that defense, defensive front on the Miami side, could be worn down, especially when you have a stud running back like Melvin Gordon, where we know he's good, we know he can play well, and he's tough, and he can go through, through the tackles. But instead, they decide to go away from the run completely, pass out, no idea of clock management there, and basically just allow Miami to slowly eat their way back in without burning enough clock at all in those situations and then they have only themselves to blame to find themselves in a situation where they fall behind uh, via uh, via a late field goal from Miami and then they have to go down the field and when they had to go down the field again they do a decent job of that but until they get within field goal range, and then suddenly you have all of this stuff. Like they they take the knee, they move the ball to the like you have Philip Rivers doing the dive to get it in the right position for the kicker, and then the kicker screws up. And like when you're looking at that, when you bring in like a rookie kicker who obviously with an interesting background, you better be damn certain that they are good, that they you know that they can do it. Because if you if they start to screw up, and obviously we're seeing with Ku already two massive misses. You're going to get a ton of heat. You're going to put more heat on the rest of the team, and you're going to look bad. Like if it's you know, like if it's some like random journeyman who's been around the league, like people will be annoyed, and you can cut them and you can move on. But the fact that you made this active decision to get someone, it's going to create even more heat for yourself. So for the Chargers, it just feels like this team is cursed. And in an AFC West which is so stacked right now, it's really hard to see them coming back from this. It already feels like their season is over, and they're in their twenty thousand like twenty thousand person stadium they're moving to a new like they're already in the process of moving and the LA Rams suddenly look like they could actually be supportable yeah. it kind of gives you the feeling that this is a season that could get very ugly very quickly for them and you know we could see the kind of situations we saw last season where we got like half empty stadiums halfway through the season due to all that poor luck oh. it feels like a team that could be challenging for the, like could be challenging in the playoffs yet it's probably going to end up in mediocrity and in a really bad place morale wise at the end of the season and it's a shame because we really want the Chargers to do well. You know, they deserve something. Like those, yeah. those fans deserve something. Those ones who have stuck by anyway. 
uh, and they just don't seem to get anything right now. No, and they've got a rough game coming up next week as well with the with the Chiefs landing in to play them. Uh, next up, we've got the neutral zone. Uh, so we're going to have a look at uh, the, the Mazungus at the LA Rams, 27-20. to 20. So the Rams came back down to earth and the Mazungus kind of failed to, to flash or surprise us really in any way in a kind of very overall quite blur 27 to 20 match uh, Cousins was 18 to 27 for 179 yards and a touchdown but that was counterbalanced by great running back work so Kelly Thompson and uh, and Perrine all kind of carried the rock a lot they went for a combined two touchdowns 229 yards uh, and that kept them in this game uh, Goff was not great but was to be honest, probably as good-ish as uh, as Cousins looked in this game. 15 to 25, 224 yards, one touchdown and interception. It was a big day for Gurley, which again, similarly helped them a bit. Uh, 106 combined yards and two touchdowns. Uh, also, wide receiver Gerald Everett looked good as well. 95 yards on three receptions. And uh, they were they were able to keep this game nice and close with a good bit of trickery, with a bit of fake punting from, uh, from Hecker, which was nice. But... Overall, this is a game where neither team really impressed all that much, uh, especially with the return of certain high-named players who you'd expect would show an increase, which we'll discuss a little bit later. But, uh, Roland, I'll come to you first on this. Uh, like, Washington looked in control for most of this game. Like, they led pretty much most of the way, but they just weren't able to put it away at any point. They weren't able to kind of just close the door on an LA Rams team that looked... Looked like last week was a flash in the pan, or rather a, a Colts in opposition. Like, <laughs> why do you think it is that they can look to be in control but not be able to really take control? Because I think it's a team that has like fundamental flaws with the way it's made up. Now, let's not discount the fact that they had a number of very unfortunate injuries, which we know haven't at least aren't long term. With Rob Kelly and Jordan Reed, obviously Rob Kelly was actually having a very good game after basically getting shut down by the, the Eagles front last week. Uh, but this week was looking good and was providing that kind of compliment to Chris Thompson that they really need. Because Chris Thompson, he, he's looked really good in initial parts, but he, he has you know definitive weakness. And Perrine, when he came in, did okay in like the last few uh, the last few uh, plays. But you know, early on in the second half, looked like the kind of disappointment we'd seen in the preseason. So I think there's there's definitely mitigating factors there. But I think what we know about Washington. It's that they're a flawed team. We know there's weaknesses all around this team. They've lost their wide receiving core, and you know Terrell Pryor is still trying to find his way. And players that we, you know, we, we, we used to be pretty good with, James Crowder, haven't really stepped up to replace those kind of name brand players of, of Garcon and Deshaun Jackson. So you're seeing an offense which is still really finding its feet and did find some identity in the run game, but then that was you know curtailed early on due to injuries. And on the defense. Like the defense has moments where it looks good, and there's certainly like a few pieces there that are that are solid. But there's just very few players on that defense that you're like, that's like a, an all-pro or Pro Bowl level player. There's like Josh Norman, and then maybe like Ryan Kerrigan. Like when you look beyond that, that there's not a huge amount of players that you're like, that's someone I would have on on one of the best defenses in the league. So you know, obviously a defense like that isn't going to dominate the other side, and then they, you know. Because I think they were a bit gun shy from the week before, they probably went conservative too quickly and allowed the Rams back into this game. But I suppose you know the one plus sign is that when the chips were down and the Rams were going for their final drive, they completely like they stepped up, they read the situation, and they took advantage of uh, a quarterback who's obviously still trying to find his feet in terms of like reading the mm-hmm. whole field. The 
fact that they got in a situation where he was able to have that drive opportunity is, is, is worrying. But I think the Redskins, they're a middling team. They have a lot of flaws. But maybe we'll see, like the last few seasons, that maybe they can overcome that and put together a solid season. I wouldn't be confident right now in that, but there's enough there that maybe uh, Washington can, can have some hope uh, after what was a really disappointing week one. Yeah, so hi. when we look at the at the Rams team here, Gurley looked good in this game. He seems to have a bit of a resurgence, but the rest of the team came back down to earth after, like we said, what seems to be more a reflection of their opposition in week one rather than necessarily the strength of the team. Defense looked vulnerable, especially to the run, which is an area that we thought the return of uh, Aaron Donald would actually help them because he is a big disruptor up the middle. Like... What needs to change? Because surely this should have been a spot where they showed like greater strength on the defense rather than greater vulnerability. Yeah, this was a team that um, <clears throat> we felt might have turned a corner, and like it was it's weird. It wasn't a bad performance from the Rams, and you know it's hard to read too much into it. This is a team that's obviously still settling down a lot. I mean, if you look at it, like who who is the wide receiver? Like Sammy Watkins and Cooper Cup struggled to establish themselves in this game. Who does Jared Goff trust? Who does Jared Goff have a rapport mm. with? We still don't know who that is. Like, we still don't really know the identity of this Rams team. And I think with all the changes in coaching, with the changes in defensive coordinator, that's something that might take a little while just to establish it for them, to actually brand their mark and get this system going. It is disappointing, absolutely, when you see um, you know Aaron Donald come back and, and, and struggle. But Donald isn't, isn't a huge run stuffer. He's a disruptor, mm-hmm. like you say. So you take things outside... And there's guys like Ogletree and so on who should be doing a better job, who should be, you know, controlling that perimeter, dealing with guys like, as we saw, Chris Thompson was able to, to gash them yeah. uh, for huge gains on multiple occasions. So I think we had a little bit of a false dawn in LA. I think we were all just so excited to see the post-Jeff Fisher mm-hmm. regime that we all bought into it a little bit. And what we've just been reminded of is this is a young team that's going through a period of change that has uh, an inexperienced head coach, that has a new defensive coordinator, new, new everything, really. Yeah. Um, and effectively, let's be honest, a new personnel because God, they never had a chance last season anyway. No. Everything, everything is changing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think now, having having read too much into week one, we now need to look at week two and be like, right, mm. let's not get carried away with this in any direction. Let's see what shape this team is in midway through the season. Let's see what brand of football they actually want to play. Let's see um, what's changing, who's emerging. Is there a coherence? coming yeah. on week on week both on offense and defense because both those things are lacking there's little bright spots little bits that work here little bits that work there will work one week and not work the next so yeah I don't know if anything needs to change or be fixed per se I think we need to see yeah. what is changing right now this is the thing like, like we're not going to get a good picture of that really after next week either because they're playing the 49ers so unless you're the Seattle Seahawks they shouldn't struggle like <laughs> um, <laughs> on to our final game uh, in the dumpster fire this week uh, this was actually we were hardly pushing for this possibly to be the Seahawks game but we went with that we went with one that was so bad we just couldn't not talk about it we decided the Seahawks game was spared by the Absolutely amazing quality of punting. Oh yeah! Also, it saved us from the from the kind of weather forecast punt review thing that Fitz uh, <laughs> is world famous for. Uh, so news. Ar- Arizona at Indianapolis, uh, sixteen to thirteen in overtime. This was an awful, awful, awful game. Um, I'm going to start this out rather than anything else, just with third down efficiency. Uh, Six of fifteen, so forty percent versus eight of eighteen <laughs> for forty four percent. 
This was abysmal. There was no score in the third quarter. This game, after quarter one, was 10 to nothing. After the second quarter, was 10 to 3. After the third quarter, was 10 to 3. And then it was 13 to 13. Palmer rallied in the fourth quarter, but he still looked old, slow, and unable to really do his job. 19 to 36 for 332 yards, one touchdown, and an interception, and four sacks. Like, a man who's had that many surgeries, that many injury issues, cannot be taking four sacks. Uh, their lead rusher was Chris Johnson, who they signed and has apparently still got legs. Uh, but he was their lead rusher with 44 yards. Uh, JJ Nelson had a great game, five catches, 120 yards, one touchdown. Which then confused the shit out of every fantasy owner who saw Jay Nelson. Uh, and one of them had zero and one of them had like 20 fucking fantasy points. And everyone's like, oh, I wonder which one's which. Brissett uh, started well in this game. Uh, drove them down the field for a rushing touchdown and then for a field goal. And it looked strong. They were up th- uh, 13 to nothing. But then... Literally nothing happened from that point onwards. Uh, he was 20 of 37 for 216 yards and one interception. That's depressing, hence probably why we had such a long discussion earlier on today about it. Um, there was no standouts for them at all. Gore was 46 yards, Doyle was 79 yards. Like Each team in this game ran more than 60 plays. They combined for 35 first downs. Like I was so happy when Honey Badger made that interception in overtime just so we didn't have to watch any more of this fucking game. It was brutal. And then I thought they were going to miss the fucking field goal to, t- to tip it off. So Ronan, both of these teams deserve to lose this. But Chris Johnson being your lead running back, what is the floor and the ceiling for this one-on-one Cardinals team at this point? As long as David Johnson is in this team, I would only consider the Cardinals favours against maybe a max of two teams like like you know maybe greater than three point favorites against two teams and that's the Colts who they did manage eventually to beat by three though I think with overtime rules they wouldn't have got it uh, and the Jets uh, I think any other team I would either have them evens or well behind and it all comes down to the fact that the offense looks awful and the defense looks mediocre uh, at, at like mediocre at best at the moment uh, on the offense talked about last week Carson Palmer had a grisly first three quarters he was absolutely terrible and once again he threw another dunderheaded interception he's lost his vision for the field he lost that idea that he actually understands where the playbook is going and he's lost any idea of zip and velocity on his throws he looks like a quarterback who's passed it he's like only like a few smidges above Peyton Manning in his last season at this stage and it's only getting worse you feel as the season goes on he's only basically got away with it because he managed to throw to he has a couple of uh, players still like JJ Nelson uh, who can, can run with the ball basically and give you something with yards after the catch but in terms of his actual like quarterback play it's terrible and then of course we have this running back committee which is really really depressing it's super Chris Johnson like I joked last week that like the Cardinals were going to sign Chris Johnson and then they go ahead and do it and now suddenly it looks like he's favoured to be the number one back in in Arizona until David Johnson gets back that's not a recipe for success and it's not a recipe for any entertaining football uh, Chris Johnson you know he's still got a bit of zip but it's very much like last gasp of of, a, you know, a, a, like of someone who used to be quite a good player so he's still good enough that he understands the game but he doesn't really have the legs anymore and the like the offense like the offensive weapons in the wide receiver core like Larry Fitzgerald he looks slow and these other players they they all have their moments they can all make a big play but can you rely on them no and that's a really big issue like the fact that their top tight end round is like 
Momoa is or Moma, something like that, is quite worrying for the entire thing. And the defense, like I'll, I'll just briefly mention, the defense, it 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 managed to shut down Jacoby Brissett eventually, but it shouldn't take eventually. <laughs> <to shut> down, <laughs> oh god! It shouldn't take eventually to shut down Jacoby Brissett. That's just not. Yeah. Caught. Like he's a bad quarterback. He's a very conservative quarterback. You should have been keeping him to less than 13 points. You shouldn't have let them get into the lead in the first place. And overall, the defense, while it still has those like moments, of, like those few players who are very special, like Patrick Peterson and the Honey Badger, that defensive front doesn't look as good as it needs to be. That linebacker court doesn't look as good as it needs to be. So is this defense going to save this team long enough for David Johnson to come back? It doesn't look like it right now. Uh, so overall for the Cardinals, very grim right now. Uh, and it could, things could get a lot grimmer. Uh, next week, if they if they get hammered by Dallas at home, yeah, no, of course, Harry. I'll come to you on the Colts and uh, like we get this team is dead until Luck comes back. But like looking at how this line has performed, so this game allowed four sacks and nine quarterback hits last week, four sacks and five quarterback hits. If Luck comes back from this injury, would you even want to put him in behind this line? Like he would get murdered. Like is this potentially? Another spot for suck for luck, but like in a positive, we have to suck for luck rather than suck to get luck. Yeah. God knows I've done enough damage to Andrew Luck at this point anyway. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't bring him back because your season's over, basically. But they probably will because the organization's run by a bunch of drug addicts and psychopaths. So Yeah. Allegedly. Uh, <laughs> actually, no. It's not alleged. Like, fucking Ursay is, is a pill popper. Like, this That's is true. well-established yeah, yeah. fact. Like, um... Yeah, it's look. This team is is brutal from top to bottom. It is. I, if this team were to play the Jets, I I might even favor the Jets at this point. Like that's yeah. how bad this team is. Like I think it's a bit harsh to be fair. Everyone's turn around and say Jacoby Brissett is a bad quarterback. Like he's only had first. He's only had two weeks to play the playbook, learn the playbook. Secondly, he's playing behind the worst defensive line in the league. Like he's getting. He'll never have. But he'll, he's never, he'll never have a chance. He's going to get smacked around the whole fucking time. Like Scott Tolzien is a bad quarterback. What happens when you put a bad quarterback behind a bad O-line? They become unplayably bad. And that's exactly what happened with Tolzien. Like, this team just sucks. And I, I think you have to thank Jacoby Brissett for throwing that pick at the start of overtime and sparing us having to sit through oh, yeah. 10 minutes of, of, of fucking football. Like, sorry, this game is so bad, right? I, I know you asked me a question about luck and I answered it, but I have to just talk in general about this game. Yeah. This game is so bad, right? That that third down percentage you trotted out, not great. High, like that third down percentage is higher than what we had in the, the game we discussed in the neutral zone. Yet the score is so much lower because why? Because the defenses are bad, but yeah. the offenses aren't good enough to take advantage of it on both teams. Absolutely ridiculous. This game is so bad that NFL.com has the fucking box score wrong. <laughs> it has Arizona scoring 13 points for a total of 16 and Indianapolis scoring 16 points for a total of 13. Look, there you go. Oh, wow. 310 equals 16, whereas 10 plus 3 plus 3 is 13. That's how little people care about this game. Like, <laughs> whoever was putting the box score together just mashed in some numbers and was like, I, just, I never want to look at this again. Mm. Like, this was this is the worst advertisement for football. Like, at least when you had, like, that screamingly awful Cardinals-Seahawks game last season. At least there were some funny things happening. There were some missed field goals, a bit of you know incompetence, and also good defense genuinely played during that game. The uh, Niners-Seahawks um, uh, game this week actually had some moments of good defense uh, being played in it, despite all, all of the problems. This was 
unwatchable from start to finish. Both these teams are completely unwatchable, and the Colts might actually just go 0-16, and they might as well at this point. To be honest with you, if they believe they have any future with Jacoby Brissett, that he can actually do anything for this team, that he might be a backup or something they can even bring forward in the future, they should take him out, let alone bring Andrew Luck back, and just let Scott Tolzien get pasted for 16 games, because there is nothing to salvage for the Colts this year. Absolutely nothing. No, nothing at all. Yeah, it was just it was a god awful game, and uh, I hope to avoid watching both these teams as much as possible for the next while. Uh, god bless you, Red Zone. Yeah, Arizona are on prime time. As yeah, well. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm probably not going to watch that game. Uh, so I suppose we'll move on to uh, questions from the listener. Okay, so this one comes in from George P, and he asks, "Do we think that Pete Carroll is the reverse Sean Payton?" By which he means is very good at defense and doesn't know what his team is doing on offense, and he should be getting an awful lot more of the blame for that. So I suppose this is in relation to it's been a pretty poor showing so far from the offense in Seattle. They like struggled to overcome the 49ers, which is a worry in and of itself. Uh, obviously, a lot of this comes from line work, so I presume a lot of this will be put on Cable. But Cable is the guy who is in there doing that job on behalf of Pete Carroll maybe he should be taking a more hands-on approach I suppose uh, I'll come to you first on Harry is he the Sean Payton of offence? Well I think I think based on watching two weeks of the Saints Sean Payton might be the Sean Payton of offence <laughs> this year because <laughs> <laughs> he's one of the wasting Drew Brees but um, I got the general point I'd like yeah it's, it's weird because it's not like they've got a bad playbook it's not like they're badly coached it's not like they don't have decent wide receivers it's not like they don't have a good quarterback their O-line is so bad that it's wrecking what would otherwise be a like top-tier team if they had an mm-hmm. O-line. And they don't. And I think the blame, but I don't think the blame necessarily falls on Pete Carroll. And I get that this goes up the chain, right? And that's why you say, oh, you can blame Tom Cable, but you have to blame Pete Carroll above him. But you also have to blame the general manager at this point. You have to blame Schneider for not, like, basically be, not, not wanting to spend more than a packet of chewing gum and a cheese roll mm-hmm. on the salary of, of that O-line. Like, that's where the problem is. It's just, it's, you can only coach bad players so much and the O-line is so fundamental it's not like you can say oh you know a running back suck we'll have the wide receivers cover for them oh we don't have great defensive backs we'll create more pressure up yeah. front with great linemen you can't do that with the O-line because like they have the closest thing to it which is the O-line has collapsed Russell Wilson will run around like a demon mm. but even now he doesn't have as much time to do his crazy scrambling thing because the pocket just immediately gets obliterated mm. and he's set up on from all sides and even now doing his what he does best. So I think at this point, this comes down to a personnel problem. This comes down to a front office that is unwilling to accept that it has failed completely to uh, all these weird experimental project linemen and just needs to go out and actually say, right, we actually just need to spend a bit of money and protect our quarterback. And this is going to happen because they're not going to be able to pay that defense forever. And at a certain point, they are going to have to say, they are going to have to bite the bullet and say, we're going to have to let one of these defensive pieces go. Because no matter how good they are, if we can't, if we can only score twelve points on the San Francisco 49ers, they're not going to get through the playoffs, and they probably will get to the playoffs because the division's terrible. But they will not get through the playoffs. No, they won't. Uh, I will say on your on your point of that, uh, they'll, they'll only spend a price of package. Bear in mind, this is a line that's spending eight million on Luke Jokel. Oh yeah, that was okay. Yeah, okay, okay. Fair point. That was just weird. Like you have to spend money on a lineman and you take Luke fucking Joke and then turn him into a guard, where it turns out he also sucks. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Fitz, what do you reckon? Like, I know you're probably going to think like you, you you know a little bit more about this. You're going to focus in on cable on this, are you? No, like like there's, there's two things. One, you don't need to stop them uh, defensive linemen if they just rush into each other so fast because they're let through. <laughs> <laughs> of the, uh, the game-winning touchdown. Yes, that was <laughs> hilarious. 
<laughs> Fizzy turned into a cartoon where he rushed so fast through the line he ended up hitting his own player and, and Russell Wilson scored through a scramble. Uh, I think the other thing is that like I like the Seattle offense looks really bad. The offensive line looks really bad now. But we've seen this before, and what we've seen before as well is that the Seahawks offense is incredibly streaky. Like when they when when they when they get it, when they sort it out, they suddenly look really 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 good. But when they don't get it, it looks really bad. And like you know, I know the offensive line is bad, but it's also true that Russell Wilson right now isn't hitting his throws. He's been quite inaccurate, especially in that game against San Francisco. If he can sort that out, then that might ameliorate some of it. And yeah, there's definitely a sense that the only reason that they're willing to invest so much is that Tom Cable has basically said, "Trust me, I'm, I'm Tom Cable. I, I can do this." And you know, I'll get the basketball and the basketball player, the defensive linemen and stuff, and we'll make a great offensive line. And you know, don't do note that their expected left tackle was injured in in the preseason. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I think I think they are moving away from that. They invested in Justin Britt at center. They were thinking at TJ Lang in the off season uh, as a potential free agent acquisition. I think it's something they're aware of. I think it's something that they're aware that Russell Wilson can't just run away forever. Um, or can he? Probably love to. Um, and I think they will sort it out over the coming seasons, but I think right now it's just another season of transition. And I think, you know, we saw when they went up-tempo, we saw that when they went read option, they started getting some joy. So I imagine they're going to adjust the, the playbook back towards that, even though I know they want to make Russell Wilson like a, pa- a pocket passer. You can't be a pocket passer without a pocket. Let's just go back to what works and keep those defensive linemen honest uh, by, paying it, by, by playing a, a playbook that, that, that forces them to be. Yeah, no, of course. So I think in response, uh, he is a little bit, but it's not entirely his fault. Uh, although I suppose equally you could say, although Sean Payton probably has more control over who that organisation is drafting maybe than Pete Carroll. Yeah. Uh, well, Sean Payton's teams just always suck, while the Seahawks offense can occasionally be good. So I don't know. I don't, I don't yeah. get the comp. Yeah, I don't know. Phil's just defending the Seahawks that entire piece, if you were to see. Yeah, he did not accept the comparison at all. He was like, no, it's great, it's be fine. You, well, could, you, could you, you, you could blame Tom Cable yeah, for yeah, saying he could do a job and not doing it, but why would you do that? Yeah, Tom yeah, Cable's was a nice yeah, guy. <laughs> we'll move on to our picks for next week okay so we'll fly through these we are in surprising lockstep on most of these so uh we will probably get through these nice and quickly uh contender for worst game of the week but almost certainly coming up second la rams at the san francisco 49ers we've taken rams across the board harry why is that uh, like the rams have looked okay the niners less so like the Niners have looked terrible let's be honest they yeah. can't get stuff done it might be made a bit more interesting now we see the Rams being a bit more vulnerable to the run because Heidel's had a very good game against Seattle but mm-hmm. overall like this San Fran team is, is just a mess yeah it's garbage uh, Baltimore at Jacksonville we've gone Baltimore across the board I think this is fairly straightforward Jacksonville did not look good this might be the Metapod game this is actually the Metapod <laughs> game this is just Harden 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 one team has Justin Tucker so yeah. you know that's, that's, that's going to be about that's it. Like, that's like that, you know, hack where you get Metapod to learn, like, tackle. Oh, yeah, just by raising it from a canopy <laughs> so it has tackle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of the corners like, yeah, yeah, you just do it. And everyone's like, what hacks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he hacks. His Metapod knows more than one move. Um, next up, we've got Denver at Buffalo. We've got Denver across the board. Why is that, Fitz? Uh, Buffalo have fight, but they don't have any offensive weapons beyond Shady McCoy. Uh, Denver's defense looks dominant right now, so I expect another poor game for the Buffalo offense as we saw at Carolina so give it to Denver where Trevor Simeon is looking surprisingly good yeah. Trevor Simeon hype anyone? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Pittsburgh at Chicago. Uh, we've gone Pittsburgh across the board. As you said, there's a lot of this in lockstep. Uh, go, uh, Harry, why do you think Pittsburgh? Did, did you see Chicago last week? Yep. I didn't. They didn't turn up on the field. Like, look, Pittsburgh uh, have had some wobbles still this season. Uh, Chicago, after like pretty good-looking first game, just dissipated mm. uh, under the Bucks' um, passing attack. And, like, look, if... The Bucks can do that to you. The Steelers can do that to you. Um, I think we're going to see Trubisky week uh, the week after this. Yeah, I think this is the last one. There was a weird tweet from the head coach about one. Oh, I really wish I could play two quarterbacks. Like, well, you can. Philly uh, tried that once. Went really badly. Yeah. Uh, so next up, we've got oh, our first disagreement: New Orleans at Carolina. I've gone Carolina. Fitz has gone Carolina. And Harry, you've gone New Orleans. So why have you gone New Orleans? Uh, because I watched Carolina play for eight quarters, and I wanted to kill myself. Like Carolina are just. Like there's something wrong with Carolina this season. They are just a nothing team that doesn't move the ball, doesn't really let you move the ball offensively, but also doesn't move the ball itself. Mm. Like I, I don't think this team. I think this team has regressed in terms of its scheme. It's been figured out and hasn't figured out how to adjust to it. Um, and you know, I think that after a couple of like poor performances, um, the Saints might just give up on this whole stupid fucking backfield thing. Let Mark Ingram have, have the ball. He's clearly the best running back on the team. Let Drew Brees do what he wants to mm-hmm. do. Stop putting the team in danger. Basically, I, I just think the Carolina's defense. This will be this will be a horrible game, right? I think, uh, but I think that right now Carolina's offense is just in such a shambles that I think New Orleans can put up a couple of points there. Well, this is the thing. So I'm thinking Carolina's defense looks good. Uh, their offense doesn't look good, but their their defense looks good. Uh, New Orleans' offense hasn't looked like it's been firing at all properly so far. I can imagine that Carolina will be able to do some nice nasty things on defense. And New Orleans' defense is so bad. I think we might finally see a game that makes people think, Jesus, Christian McCaffrey. Good. Because <laughs> I just think they're just going to ignore him. Presume he's a white wide receiver. He must be on our team. Uh, like, uh, I, I can just I can just see this being the game where Carolina like our game plan to use McCaffrey is see this is it's legit. It just took three games to bet in. You're like no, it's just New Orleans literally don't know how to defend. Uh, Tampa Bay at Minnesota. We've all gone Tampa Bay. Is it just because of the injury, Ronan? Well, that doesn't help certainly. But Tampa Bay looked good in their first game. They looked like the team that we were expecting. Uh, especially on the defense, that was very impressive defense. Even if it's Chicago, uh, I think that's that. If that defense is at the level that I think it can be with the talent it has, that'll be what actually makes a difference. Because we know what the offense is; it's good. Like the Sean Jackson adds a bit of an extra element, and OJ Howard adds a bit of extra. But I think the offense will be what we expected last season: good. You know, few mistakes probably come from the quarterback, but overall decent. Mm. Minnesota, if Sam Bradford isn't back, you can pretty much make this a write-off. But even with Sam Bradford back. I would expect that he'll be a bit uh, rusty with that knee or be a bit, a bit conservative with that knee. And I think Tampa Bay's defense will put enough pressure on him that he won't be able to kind of do the uh, do the surgery job that he did in week one. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, next up, we've got Hype, Hype, Hype. It's Harry's game of the week. Cleveland oh. at Indianapolis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 look, week three games. I couldn't pick a good game, so I just picked a bad one, because <laughs> why not? Um, I think this is really interesting. Uh, most guys want to see Cleveland win a game. Um, I picked Cleveland. You've all picked Cleveland. Because yeah. um, Indianapolis is terrible. But I think, like, look, we've seen some really ugly stuff from Cleveland, not only in play-wise, and the effort I alluded to, but also coaching-wise last week. Some very strange things being done. Deshaun Carr's are being put in some, frankly, irresponsible spots um, in terms of what he was being asked to do versus what he can do. So I think this will be interesting to watch, see how Cleveland recover from that, how the coaching approach, what should be a game they, that they honestly really, really should win. And uh, I think this is sort of benchmarking here. Like, you've had a rough week, you've had some problems. Can this team, like, work out what it needs to do to look convincing? It's not like, are they going to beat the Colts? Like, 
probably going to beat the Colts. My grandmother could beat the Colts. Mm. Can they look convincing against the Colts? Whereas the question for Indianapolis is, is can they, again, against a team that isn't that good, uh, although it has some definitely has some nice pieces, but just seems a little bit unsure of where it's going right now, can they get anything going to show that they might, like, give somebody a tough game through something other than Arizona levels of incompetence yeah. that they might actually put up a bit of a fight this season. So I think there's just a couple of interesting things to watch in this game that will, I think, make it in terms of like a perspective piece more interesting than it will actually be visually to watch. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a lot of little little bits in there that I just want to see how they pan out because I think they'll tell us... Uh, it's, some... huh? it's like a really obscure modern art piece. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It belongs in the museum. New new wide receiver for Cleveland, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, at this point, why not? Um, yeah, so look, I think I think there'll be some interesting things to keep an eye out for in this game. And who knows? Cleveland could do some fun things on offense because they can't do it against Indianapolis. God knows they're not going to do it against anyone. Yeah. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of defensive scores for Cleveland. <laughs> um, next up, we've got Miami at the Jets. Uh, we've got Miami across the board. Why? Because the Jets are shit. Miami looked all right. Uh, that's pretty much about all we need on that one. Houston at New England. New England across the board. Why is that fits? Yeah, New England seem to recover from their week one escapades. Uh, Houston have a good defense, albeit we're kind of still a bit uncertain about them. Um, especially in the backfield uh, but I think New England at home should have enough to take on Houston unlike who unlike the Chiefs are, aren't a balanced team yeah. uh, that offence just looks a bit questionable especially the offensive line like the New England might actually get a few sacks that could be pretty interesting yeah that'll be, mm-hmm. that would be interesting now. Uh, we've got Atlanta at Detroit I think this is sneaky going to be one of the very good games of the week uh, I think this could be very fun we've taken Atlanta across the board why is that? Um, look, I, I, I get what you're saying, and I think on paper, yes, but I think this this, this has Detroit meltdown game. Oh, it does, all, yeah, yeah. Written they, all they, They've won it. two now, so now yeah, they have they, to. They, they're going to tank. They're going to go in there, and they're going to get absolutely squashed. Like, and it's at home, so you know they're going to fuck it up. Like, mm. um, Look, Atlanta, after like a really wobbly game against the Bears, we were like, oh shit, there's something wrong with Atlanta. Nah, it was just a one-game thing. They absolutely walloped Green Bay. Absolutely walloped them. Um, there's no reason they can't do the same to a Detroit team that's looking good as I keep saying and you guys keep saying no we'll be good and we'll find out when they finish 6-10 and ten. Uh, but like it's not Green Bay um, there's still serious problems with this Detroit team and Atlanta top to bottom are a better roster at this stage so yeah. I expect Detroit might make it a bit fun but it's hard to see Atlanta losing no of course uh, so next up we've got uh, New York Giants at Philadelphia Eagles we've got uh, Philly across the board in this one well, well Philly looked really really fucking good uh, in their game against the Chiefs this week uh, well defensively looked great their offense looks strong Giants look like a pile of poop at the moment uh, their offensive line is terrible did you see they had their best performance out of their offensive line in like a year and a half or two years and it was that they only gave up an average of two like two pressures slash sacks per lineman uh, not 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 encouraging given how strong that front seven for Philadelphia is I think they're going to feed on them uh, now New York could have a bounce back but I just don't see it in them from what we've seen from them so far so Philly all the way for that next one up is uh, Ronan's game of the week hi pipe hi, hi, Seattle at Tennessee yeah like I think when we talk about this game we're looking at two teams that we're not really sure about like Tennessee have a really bad week one against Oakland but they come back against Jacksonville and put up a, a solid if you know, somewhat confusing kind of performance against Jacksonville. Like, they got held basically for the entire first half in what was definitely a Metapod-type game. Uh, but then they learned tackle, uh, or, you know, how to break tackles, in Derrick Henry's case. And they kind of put together a decent, like, a decent showing in the second half. Like, you know, it's kind of hard to judge how good they were in offense because 
you know, Jacksonville kept giving them the ball back uh, with relative ease, and it's kind of hard to judge how good their defense is because Blake Bortles is Blake Bortles. So you have you have Tennessee. Uh, we're not really sure where they are. Like I think everyone kind of wants them to be good, and therefore we're kind of papering over the cracks from week one a bit because Oakland were also really good at the moment. Um, but we're kind of like Tennessee. They're good, probably good enough to win the AFC South. But are they better than that? We'll see. Then you have Seattle, which obviously came out in week one, uh, put up a very defensive show in week one against Green Bay, uh, and the offense never really got going. Then they go into week two and they put up another defensive display, and the offense got going. Eventually, uh, managed to. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't call that going. <laughs> well, they got going for a drive uh, and then scored a touchdown. <laughs> Uh, and obviously the offensive line is the massive thing there. Now the thing is, like the Green Bay Packers uh, defensive line, especially Mike Daniels, who who was absolutely monstrous in Week One, and San Francisco have a lot of talent on their defensive line. Tennessee are probably the first team they've played who have like an average defensive line. Like they have uh, a couple of decent pieces, like Arakpo, but it's nothing special there. And Gerald Casey, but it's nothing. It's not. It's not the kind of line that creates pressure on the quarterback or on running backs, for example. So it'll be interesting to see what Seattle. Offense can get something going, especially on the ground game. Can they get Chris Carson going, who's probably the RB1 at this case, at this point? Uh, so, yeah, for, I think it's an identity game. I think whoever loses this game, you're going to hear a lot of thought pieces. Oh, this team is done. This team has issues. I don't think it'll be too early to really make those statements. But I think the team that wins will, will kind of kind of go back into where they were. People, oh, that's kind of what we're expecting to be. Seattle are obviously the favorites, probably just based on their pedigree. But obviously, I think this should be a close game. Uh, based on two teams which have obvious weaknesses right now and are kind of where we are but then these are the kind of games that Seattle might come back and do some good stuff in yeah. um, so because like Seattle was surprisingly good against the AFC last season beating like the Patriots and stuff like that so maybe that will continue here uh, so I'm going to give it to Seattle myself um, because I'm a homer uh, but obviously with that offensive line uh, it's not definitely not a given yeah. Uh, especially with Tennessee having talent on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I've got Seattle as well. And Harry, you've yeah, gone Tennessee. At, at the start of that, I was Seattle. And during, uh, I was so convinced by Ronan that I've actually switched to Tennessee. Yeah, saw the best. <laughs> saw the best. Uh, it's be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, just I, I, I get that your team, Ronan, but I wouldn't call that really started to fire on offense at the tail end of the last game. That it was, was still San Francisco. Like, we have to remember that. <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, yeah. Let's be honest. Uh, next up, uh, it's yeah, my yeah. game of the week. Uh, Kansas City at LA Chargers. Uh, we've got KC across the board. Um, I think this will be a very enjoyable game. I don't think the Chargers are deserving of their own, too. I think they can play up I think they tend to play up in these games I remember the opener against them last year was very good and we were behind all the way to the fourth quarter in it uh, I think KC are looking this will be as strong as this is our first game in division and we want to be winning all of our games in division especially with how strong everyone else is looking at it we want to make sure we're locking down these types of games we're away for it the Chargers are not going to want to lose a second game in their home stadium either like there's just a whole lot of stuff that's going on that makes me think that they're going to play really really hard in this game uh, KC I'd be interested to see how they deal with this pass rush because they've got a good pass rush in there. Our line is questionable because obviously our centre is out. Uh, it was it took a lot of pressure last week from the front seven of, of uh, Philadelphia. So I'd like to see how that sits up. And I'd also like to see how we're going to attack them because we've seen two different kind of offensive approaches between game one and two and this will be an interesting thing to see what we're settling into against the Chargers who like I said are quite a strong defence and also they've got a good offence how that's going to deal with 
We've got question marks at cornerback. We're rotating in Eric Murray and a few others at safety. It'll be an interesting game. And let's be honest, there's not a huge amount of other interesting games on this week. So Kansas City across the board for us there. And next up, we've got, oh, this is going to be a tightly run affair. Cincinnati at Green Bay. We've got Green Bay. Harry, why Green Bay? Did you know Aaron Rodgers has never beaten Cincinnati? What? Has he yeah. just never played them? No, he's played them twice. He's lost both times. He's not not going to lose a third. Um, it's his kryptonite. Yeah, like, look, maybe this offensive... Uh, the, the laser. Yeah, the, the, the laser know, focus. Yeah, maybe, maybe that will bring it. The where everyone is dead in Green Bay, so maybe they have a shot. Oh, yeah, they, could have, they could have a load of injuries out. Like. It's yeah, it, it seems unlikely, though. I mean, like, look, Aaron Rodgers can, as we've seen, throw it to, like, John Wallace and, and mm. Jeff Janis and make things happen. Like... Yeah, like Green Bay now immediately, as you say, the injuries have put them into a little bit of a mini-crisis mode, and they got thrashed by Atlanta, but Cincinnati yeah. are bad. And Cincinnati the, haven't scored a touchdown yeah. this year. Well, the change defensive coordinator might help. You can't expect that to immediately flick on one week and everything to just mm. click. Uh, we might see a bit more fight from Cincinnati in this one, but uh, Green Bay are... Look, Green Bay look like a better team right now, and it's hard to pick against them, particularly at Lambeau. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Oakland traveling over to the Mazungus. We've taken Oakland across the board in, again, what might be one of the more competitive or at least more interesting to watch games. Fitz, why have we taken Oakland across the board? Well, Oakland are a better team across the board, I think, really. When you look at the talent level, like maybe you could argue that Washington have a better CB1. That's about it. <laughs> but like Washington are a competitive team in the sense that they have lots of decent players so they should at least make a fist of it at home but I think Oakland overall based on what we've seen so far should have enough to dominate them I expect more beast mode dancing yeah of course and finally we've got Dallas at Arizona I've gone Dallas Fitz has gone Dallas and Harry has gone for Washington (laughs) (laughs) controversial controversial big big if true big if true but if uh, Washington take the field and end up winning this game, uh, that'll be the hero pick to end all hero picks of the season, I think. Yeah, I think that's supposed to say Dallas, I won't lie. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, it's in the books now. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, we'll change it to Dallas. Right? Um, yeah, basically, Dallas don't look great, but we extensively discussed how terrible Arizona looked there. Uh, I, I imagine this is going to be a fairly one-sided affair. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. As we, as we said, like that's that's the slate of games. There's there's we seem lot like we're in lockstep on nearly all of these for a good reason. They don't seem to be now. This is the thing. It's week three. Now is when teams will start to surprise us. Now is when like they were just settling into their playbook and stuff is starting to click, or their defense has now figured out what they needed to do, or they find some leadership, or you know the piss tests have stopped and they start doing steroids again. Like whatever it takes, guys. Whatever it takes. Um, but yeah, that'll wrap it up for that one. So uh, any other crackers yourself, lads? Any plans for the rest of the week for the weekend? I, mean, I, I don't have any plans, but I'm going to have to make some good ones because Donald Trump has just got up at the UN and said he's going to wipe North Korea off the face of yeah, the earth. He so says he doesn't think he has any option other than... We are all going to die very, very soon. You might never hear this podcast because we will all be dead. Yeah, well... Well, we'll take a little bit longer to die. You'll all be dead. Yeah. Um, we'll just slowly become super mutants. Yeah, it's grim enough. Uh, grim enough situation now, to be honest with you. So, uh... Yeah, maybe I'll just start collecting like canned beans and bottled water for the yeah. next few days. Not a bad shout. Uh, what about yourself? Fitz? any plans for the week weekend? Uh, nothing too much. This time next week, I'll be in the, the great district of Columbia mm. uh, at a very exciting regulatory conference. What part of nuclear war with America do you not understand? <laughs> <laughs> They'll nuke Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> oh Lord! Uh, did you did 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 you end up getting tickets for the game or no? Uh, no, but I, I think they're still pretty cheap. 
Yeah. There's a huge amount of hype around uh, Washington at the moment. No, there wouldn't uh, be. So it's like less than 100 on uh, what's that, the fan, fan thing. The, the thing they always put in their advertising in America. StubHub? Uh, no, they have like a special oh, fan sided or something. So, yeah, yeah, swap yeah. thing. Uh, um, I want to, I want to see Fitz guy. I want to see like videos, you know, coming out on like World Star Fitz like drunkenly beating up yeah. Dan <laughs> Snyder or something. Like. That'd be fantastic. Like, like, you can get, you can get the metro there, but like there's, there's like actually a custom made like mile long walk between the metro station and the, and the stadium. Uh, so like for America that's a pretty good shot at public transport I suppose yeah, yeah. there you go but that's it does right. not contrast uh, kindly with say you know Wembley which uh, is a wonderful experience relatively speaking getting there uh, compared it seems to most of America yeah uh, invest in your public infrastructure in America it could be useful and the public infrastructure is not limited to the stadium itself no we uh, did, actually sorry I just say mentioning World Star there's a nice little story before you know Donald Trump kills us all um, did you see anything about the Nazi in Seattle no. So there was this guy uh, who was like, like uh, you know how they knew he was a Nazi? Because he had a fucking red armband with a swastika on it. Oh, right. And he was going around so Seattle. A, and the, the classic. Yeah. Na- Nazi classic. Well, you know, you never know these neo-Nazi types. hard to keep track of them. But people were like, you know, t- tweeting pictures of him as he went around being like, watch out for this guy. And eventually he walked past a bus stop and somebody you know, called him out and he went over and started mouthing to them. And then somebody started recording and there's this beautiful video of just this most amazing one-punch knockout of a Nazi. Like, your man swings at the Nazi, cracks a beautiful right hook on the jaw, and your man literally spins 180 and face down, Mm. absolutely out of it. And I'm like, that's pretty satisfying. So is he being drafted up for the next fight against Conor McGregor then? (laughs) (laughs) Nice money. He's drafted as an offensive lineman for Seahawks. Oh, Jesus. Actually, (laughs) could well be. Yeah. uh, Or or a temporary replacement for Vontaze Burfitt. Well, the the guy who beat up the Nazi, man. Segment uh, in this week's weekly Tomo Romo segment, uh, he claimed on a play in the fir- uh, at the end of the game when New England basically salted the game away that Bill Belichick deliberately blitzed five men. Oh, to throw off the stats! Basically, to throw off the stats and allow them a touchdown so that you know future analytics would not would be confused and that scouts would make mistakes based on what he actually would do in that situation. Is Tony Romo correct? Find out. You know, over statistically over a number of seasons, likely. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a pin in that, and we'll definitely circle back around to it in season nine. <laughs> Tony Romo's, uh, you know, continued uh, continued escapades in actual analysis. Yeah, Very fascinating. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, so I'll have a bit of crack this weekend. See what the see what the story is, uh, and I think we're heading over to Keynes to watch the football this weekend, yes. where uh, he has a very energetic dog who has romantic yes. intentions towards everyone's legs. So uh, there'll be a whole lot of ankle humping going on. So I suppose that'll do for us there. It's bye from myself, bye from Harry, bye, bye from Ronan. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Hit us up on the interwebs, uh, Pornhub and Twitter and all those things. And we will catch you uh, this time next week. Bye.